Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs. Well, it's all Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Great to be here today on this rainy spring Seattle day. Great day to take your dog for a walk, even though it's a little wet out. Perhaps it's not wet where you're listening from, so welcome from wherever you are. Uh, we like to say it's a great, take, great day to take your dog for a walk every show, regardless, for the most part. Um, and even stop and let your dog sniff for a little bit. That's nice to do, too. Dogs are pretty hardy creatures, so yeah. I think they're uh, welcome to putting up with some of the weather, even when we're not. So. Yeah. Well, I have um, a, our guest today in the booth, in person, which is always a treat. Uh, Chris is one of my first clients when I started my business, Sensitive Dog, uh, I think must have been 10 years ago. Oh, it was more than that. You were, you know, I think within the first year of when I was teaching classes at the Barking Lounge in mm-hmm. Seattle and um, Chris's dog, uh, Sophie, who was an Australian shepherd, uh, really, uh, her nickname was Sharky. And she was uh, just a, a hoot, great personality. And uh, we worked together. And then we worked together when Chris got her second dog. And, um, Chris is joining us today to talk about her experience with Sophie uh, through her end of life, which happened uh, just within the last two months, correct? Five, five weeks. Ago. Five weeks ago. And, um, you know, over the years, I have done a number of shows. This is episode number 422. And I've really done a, a number of them um, on end of life topics. Uh, we've had a help project on it's uh, animal hospice end of life and palliative care nonprofit that's local here in Seattle uh, pet loss support group um, some authors uh, when your dog has cancer is a book I interviewed Lola Ball who's the author of that book uh, I talked in um, September of 2009 when um, my first dog. I had to put him down, hemangiosarcoma, also, Chris. Same, yeah. um, that was my first experience with my own dog. You know, I had been through it as a kid with the family dog, but it's different. And uh, whew, you can hear the grief in my voice in that, uh, in that interview. That was a week and a half after I uh, let him go. And um, it's an important aspect of life in general is, is death. You know, you can count on death. Uh, everybody's going to die. And it's part of the deal with dogs. And hopefully we we do outlive our pets and that we don't, you know, leave them behind. Uh, so it's just part of the deal. And it's important to talk about. It's important for people to share their stories. And, uh, you know, in the hopes that it will help somebody else. So thank you for being here. I know this isn't the easiest thing to talk about. Um, but... You have you really uh, moved to share your story um, with the different vets and kind of this process and how it happened and and now your perspective after the fact and if you could do anything differently maybe you would and all that kind of stuff so welcome thank you for being here well thank you for 
including me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And um, and so I'd like to just start and and have you kind of tell us, you know, that first visit at the vet when you realized, okay, you know, okay, something's wrong. You took her to the vet and then it kind of started there. Okay, well, it was a sun, Sunday. It was right after the Woman's March, so it's kind of memorable to me. Yeah. And um, um, the Wednesday before, I had, I thought she had a, a fainting episode, which I thought was weird. Mm-hmm. But she, Sophie always struggled with um, urinary tract infections, and so it, she recovered quickly. I didn't think anything about it. I called my local vet at Northeast Veterinarian, and we just decided to monitor and never saw any kind of symptoms again. And then that Sunday morning, she was in the backyard, and when she came back up for breakfast, she clearly was passing out. Mm-hmm. And so I called my brother, and I said, gosh, you know, my vet's open Sunday, but I really thought maybe the ER, just because they have more equipment. So I went up to, I think it's Medical Surgical in Northeast Seattle. By the time we got there, she was recovered and, you know, didn't want to stay. She hated the vet, and... um we decided to leave her. I think the vet suspected some things, but, you know, he wanted to monitor her. He was going to keep her for an ultrasound the next day, but she was good. And so I left her there. I went to the office. Um, he left me a voicemail about four, told me she was doing really well. They hadn't seen any episodes of fainting or anything like that. And then about two hours later, he called me back and said that they had taken her out for a walk and she had fainted. And he had done um, an ultrasound and saw a mass on her spleen. Mm-hmm. So they now they know what was causing the fainting was that she was bleeding out. She was right. bleeding internally. Yeah. And um, so I he told me he asked me to come back up. I went back up and we talked. And he was a really nice guy, very direct, professional. I liked him. Um, you know, he I couldn't even pronounce what he kept saying. I didn't even know what he what what it was. I never heard of it. Um, the type of cancer. Hemangiosarcoma. Hemangio- yeah. And, yep. um, um, you know, um, it was, well, we can, we still want to do the ultrasound in the morning for, you know, they have, I guess, a little, a smaller one there. And then they have the out- actual technician that came in on Monday and she was going to do the um, ultrasound again. And then they'd make their recommendations. Recommendations were, we can, we don't know if it's cancer. We'll take out her spleen and then we'll let you know. So had they had found a mass, right? But they didn't know if it was cancer. Exactly. Did they give you any sense for like usually this this usually this is kind of or were they like we don't know? Uh, in hindsight, I think he was probably pretty sure it was mm-hmm. um, cancer. Yeah, but. Um, I, I, you know, I, it's hard for me to go back at that moment because it was, I mean, to figure out if he was really telling me what I wanted to hear or I was hearing what I wanted to hear. One never knows. Yeah. Well, and I think it's tough because they, you know, as a, as a veterinarian, they, they don't want to necessarily, you know, it's kind of like, well, where is that balance of, you know, keeping optimism when it's still appropriate or or early in the process versus versus being honest right. and being like you know this is uh this is likely 
Um, so, and then and then you're sort of left with, oh, no, you know, oh, gosh. And then it's and then maybe it's not. But but it's so often. Is. So it's kind of like tough, I think, if I was a vet to sort of navigate that, you know, um, I think I'd be more inclined to be really honest about about the, you know, and that that's what happened with Chewy was, you know, it was like, well, it's a very aggressive cancer. Typically, typically it spreads, you know, so even and they, they couldn't even find the mass for him, but he was bleeding out. Wow. So it's like, so I don't know. I can appreciate that sort of gray area, I guess, as a vet of where do you, you know, it's their job to sort of prevent all treatment options, but then at the same time make a recommend, you know, or at least give you information as far as, uh, um, you know, the risks involved and the likelihood and all that kind of stuff because you're really at their mercy. Yeah, I, I, you know, I he was honest that if it was, cancer that it was very aggressive and that um you know he told me even with treatment it would you know she probably didn't have more than two months mm-hmm. um, well that's good to know but i you know i held out hope that you'll take out the spleen everything will be fine yeah you know and they also saw some spots on her liver and so they were going to biopsy those too so mm-hmm. I, I went ahead and did the surgery and she came home on tuesday following surgery and they removed her spleen? They removed her spleen, and they did biopsies, and then um, um, sent me home. You know, she you know, she seemed really kind of spunky when she first came home, and I think from then on, you know, she had her days. But, um, you know, the first few days home kind of gave me optimism, but I didn't know what the results were. I didn't have the biopsy result. Mm-hmm. And so then the following Sunday after surgery... Um, she had a panic attack, bad panic attack. And, and this um, is a week after, a week after your after initial her... vet visit. Exactly. Okay. They had given me a limited amount of pain medication. And um, so I don't know if the poor little thing was in pain or what, or I put her back on her diet too soon. You know, I'll, she, you know, they don't talk. I never knew. So yeah. I took her, it was courses in the middle of the night, and I took her back to the ER vet. Same vet wasn't there, different vet, who was very nice, but um, Sophie was really hyper at the vet, and not every vet could handle that. And mm-hmm. I think she was really distracted with Sophie's, hi- Sophie's hyperness. Sophie also had a tendency to turn her head sideways mm-hmm. when she was trying to figure out what you were doing, and that, that bothered the vet. I think she was worried that that was an indication of a neurologic she was trying to figure out what that meant, and I said, well, she's just trying to figure out what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> she's um, trying to figure you out right yeah. now. <laughs> so there wasn't any any definitive response that night other than they gave me some trazodone, except at midnight on Sunday night, I found out that um, that the biop- they gave me the biopsy results. They, no one had called me with them, and so she assumed that I knew that the mass was cancerous, and I hadn't. Oh. Um, she told me the liver wasn't, which gave me a lot of hope. So then I proceeded with the oncology events. Mm-hmm. So, and you said you had said something before the show that I think is important to um, to just point out for the dogs. Um, you we were talking about that you kind of felt like she she was in pain, I you did. know, after after the surgery, and she kind of was you know came home and was a little spunky, but then you know over the course of the next month was right. it yeah that that you really felt like she was in she was in some pain and that that was not appreciated that you were only given three days of pain meds after she had had her spleen removed 
and her liver biopsied. And that, um, were you told, what were you told about dogs in pain? That they have, you know, high threshold. I mean, that they just don't, they recover quickly. They don't need pain meds. That they have a high threshold for pain. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I disagree with that. I mean, I think that that's a general, just to say, like, you know, if somebody else, you know, I mean, so individuals, there's, there's individual variation for sure. Just like people. Yeah. Um, but to say that, you know, dogs, as a blanket statement, dogs have a high threshold for pain. Uh, mm, I, that's not, mm, <laughs> I don't know. It seems a little insensitive. So I wanted ma- to point that out. She had major abdominal surgery. She had major abdominal surgery. You know, the poor little thing. And a panic attack, which and is probably pain attack. related. Yeah. And so, so they gave me trazodone and they actually gave me a few more pain meds. Yeah. But, you know, I was knocking her out with trazodone all the time. Yeah. Um, so, so you are, and you know, and it's so hard because, you know, you're going, um, you're going about your life and then all of a sudden, boom, yeah. you've got, now you're talking about cancer all of a sudden. And it's like, you're kind of in shock. Yes. So it's hard to, um, I mean, with any end of life situation, you know, and, and I think it's especially hard if a dog is in crisis, you know, you've got a dog who's passing out and could bleed out and have that kill her. Um, and because she would clot, the blood would reabsorb. Right. And that's why she would recover. And um, so you're like feeling this this pressure to make decisions quickly. And I think that that it, and it just is what it is. And, and when you have an animal in crisis, you can't there's no way around that. But it's adds because you can't say, OK, well, I'm going to. Um, you know, I'm going to take the week and take her to, you know, three other veterinarians and just sort of get a second and third opinion and, and, and have some time to kind of process and think, you know, you don't you don't feel like you have that time. And no. it's it. Well, after the panic attack ER, then they wanted me to see their oncologist. I set up an appointment, but they kind of put me off a little bit in there. They wanted me to have her be, you know, not eat that morning and come in and wanted me to give her a trazodone so she was calm. I felt like they were bringing me in for treatment, and I just wanted— By then, I had talked to my own vet and realized that her life expectancy was pretty short. I was coming to terms with that a little bit, as Mm -hmm. much as you can. Um, And so I canceled that appointment Mm -hmm. and waited and found a different oncologist up in Edmonds, Dr. Tripp. Okay. So you had had a really helpful conversation with your regular vet. Exactly. And and he or she. Dr. Christensen, right. Um, male or female? Male. Um, so he, he, he helped kind of give you some perspective on what your, how this is likely going to go, how much time likely, you know, on all that kind of stuff. And so how did that impact your course from there? So then you made another oncology appointment still made with an a oncology, different one. Right. Uh-huh. Um, well, Dr. Christensen said, you know, he said, you know, you're, she could have as much as a week, week and a half, that's it. And I just don't think I was ready to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I had her, st- that, I don't remember why I saw him for what, what was going on with her. Then I saw another vet, and I like Dr. Christensen a lot. He's very honest and direct. So he brought me into reality. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Dr. Fisher to take her stitches out, and I by then had had some concerns about oncology even going forward and that's when he recommended Dr. Tripp who used to be with them because he felt that she was pretty honest and gonna 
not give me false hope, I guess. Okay. So then I went to see her on February 14th. So that was about three weeks post-surgery when I saw her. Okay. And she was, she's great. I mean, if your dog has cancer, go see her. I mean, she's, she's phenomenal. She's, she's chipper, smart, direct, um, lays it out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, she thought maybe, of course, she was basing it off the scans she saw three weeks before. And three weeks before, those scans were clear except for the spleen. Um, so she felt we could maybe find another seven to nine months for Sophie, which really made me extremely happy, mm-hmm. and um, and started a, a you know a, 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 a I didn't want to give her chemo in the office so they can mail you chemo pills, so I started a regimen at home of of medication. But the next day, um, she passed out again, and we went back to the ER and um, the. Um, the ultrasound showed that the all all of the nodules of the liver were compromised now. Mm. So um, she was bleeding internally again. Mm-hmm. And they have this Eastern medication that I guess will help clot the blood. Herbs, yeah. Yeah, herbs. Mm-hmm. And so I called Dr. Tripp. By then she was open. And fortunately my brother was with me. And um, we started giving her that. And um, there was a certain amount of time, you know, the vet came in and said, you know, you know, she's probably going to die soon and, you know, we want to do the ultrasound. At that point, I didn't know about the liver for sure. Called my doctor, called Dr. Tripp, and then they did the ultrasound and then, um, you know, there wasn't, wasn't a whole lot left after that. I mean, there wasn't anything to do. They wanted, they, they recommended that um, I euthanize her that day, I think, mm-hmm. that would been, but I wanted to take her home. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that that herb, I think it was clotted enough that I was able to take Sophie home, and mm-hmm. she was with me for another six days. So mm-hmm. she got to go back to her favorite place, her the her, barking the barking lounge, lounge yeah. to for daycare. And oh, they doted on her. I mean, oh, they kept her in the office, and she was all all the meetings, and yeah. she got to say goodbye. And you know, friends that knew her got to come over that weekend. It was President's Day weekend, and mm-hmm. then, but by Monday. Um, my vet had warned me that you'll start to see her breathing compromised. And by Monday, I, I knew that she didn't have long. Mm-hmm. And so um, I called uh, Compassion for Paws because mm-hmm. I wanted to try to do it at home if I could. And mm-hmm. fortunately, she, she lasted for until Tuesday. And mm-hmm. they came and, and, you know. Mm-hmm. How was that experience for you? Well, hard. I mean, I hadn't slept and eaten for about a month. <laughs> My whole goal was to keep that little dog alive. I love that little dog. She's so funny. I mean, I love all my dogs. You do. You go, you know, mm-hmm. I'm 68. I've had a, a lot of dogs, and they all have their relative importance. You remember them for different things. But my last two dogs, Sophie and then the German Shepherd that Sophie kind of replaced, were both very unique animals and just huge personalities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't ever want Annie to know that Sophie was kind of my favorite, but she was a little bit, you know, because she was so Sophie. You knew Sophie. Yeah. So there was something about Sophie. I didn't want to lose that little dog. Yeah. Um, but by that point, 
you know, I, my friends were telling me, you can't keep doing this. You're killing yourself, you know, and mm -hmm. I had to make a tough decision for her. I mean, she wasn't happy. <laughs> Nobody in the house was happy. Poor Annie was miserable, my other dog. I mean, she was ignored, poor thing. You know, the cat, it, it wasn't, wasn't a happy home anymore. It was just sad. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and worrying about Sophie, you know, will she be all right? Will she eat? You know, what's this medication? Will she take this medication now? Will she throw it up? Is she going to have anxiety attack? You know, it's end of life stuff is, you know, I've, I mean, I've gone through with my parents, but I don't know when there's a, it's a dog, you feel like there's more responsibility because nobody else is, they can't tell you and you just have to try to anticipate and take care of anything they might need. So, mm -hmm. um, Compassion for Paws did a nice job, and there was a certain amount of relief. My my brother, John, who lives here, was he probably thinks he's got the nuttiest sister in the world, but I never left Sophie alone um, after the diagnosis. She was either at home with me at the lounge or my brother would come to the house and stay with her. And so, um, you know, I had, she had a lot of support and love at the end, and, and my brother was there that day, and when they— took her out. My other friend Leonard was there, and when he helped the, the veterinarian take Sophie's body out, and my brother and I were hugging. And yeah. He said Sophie's left the building. Mm -hmm. That sounds so silly, but <laughs> it was mm -hmm. kind of, my little girl is gone. Yeah. It's so hard to wrap your, I mean, make sense of it all and this this animal that you've lived day in and day out day in and day out day in and day out you know we live so intimately with them and we have such you know one of the things about dogs is the heart connection you know yeah. that and and there's you know regardless of what what your beliefs are or that they're always with you and all that kind of stuff there's still a physical, like, shock almost yeah. in your heart. Like, it just is like, ugh, you know, it, like, rips a part of your heart off. And, and you miss them. You just miss being with them. You miss that personality. You miss their presence, being able to touch them and talk to them and, and just have them as a part of your life. And then, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're not in that body anymore. And then there goes the body and you're just like left. I know. And uh, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. I, I've been there and, and lots and lots of people listening have been there. And I know, like I told you earlier, I've got another client who just had to say goodbye to their dog uh, last week. It's just, it is part of the deal and it is brutal. It does hurt. Mm -hmm. I was very lucky. I had, you know, my my friends, my neighbors. Every almost every day I came home, there was, you know, a bottle of wine or mm. a chocolate bar or some flowers. Yeah. Or I mean, I had such an outpouring of support and and real love. Um, one of my neighbors across the street, I, Sophie couldn't walk very much, but every night I make sure I walked her because she needed to poo. I wanted to make sure she was as regular as possible and. Um, one of my neighbors across the street, she's a big animal lover. They're primarily cats, but she, we just would sit outside on the curb on trash night and 
talk about, you know, the pets we've lost and the pets mm-hmm. we've loved in life. And, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of conversations mean a lot. I don't know if people know how much that means when you're going through it, but yeah. it meant a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very lucky. I really am. Yeah. And it's hard to lose her, but I had tremendous support. I mean, all the cards I got, I got flowers. I mean, yeah. it, it was, it was, it really helped. It really yeah. did. I and I don't cry quite as much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> You'll probably continue to for a while. (laughs) I know I did. I still will sometimes. I mean, and I can, I'm tearing up as I'm listening to you. It just, it's, it's sad. It is. You know, Um, and it is important to talk about it. And I think with grief in general, it's something that people maybe feel like maybe they don't, you know, and not in your case necessarily. You had, you were really blessed with a really wonderful community that, acknowledged your grief over a dog. Um, There's some people who don't have anybody or many people at all or people telling them, why are you so sad? It's just a dog, you know, like that. And so it's like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. imagine. I can't even imagine having people like that in my life. But um, so, you know, oh, I'm not really wanting to talk about it because I don't want to upset them. But it's actually nice to have you know and people can always say I don't really want to talk about it right now but it's nice to talk about it and process it and feel it you got to keep that grief moving yeah I think so you have to go with the grief if you don't I think uh, I don't think you'll move on no it's just gonna I guess it'll just lay there because it's gonna go somewhere yeah exactly so I think it's important yeah so um why don't we take a quick break? We've, if you've just tuned in, um, we're talking with one of my old and dear clients. From what I should say, one of my first <laughs> dear clients. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> um, from when I first started my business uh, in uh, dog training and behavior sensitive dog, her dog Sophie, uh, such a character. Her nickname was Sharky. She was a Australian Shepherd with prick ears and uh, just the funniest personality. Um, and Chris had to say goodbye to Sophie five weeks ago and is sharing her story with uh, the veterinarians and the oncologists. And um, so when we come back, Chris, I'd like to kind of just chat about your perspective now that you've laid out the story and the timeline about, you know, we were talking hindsight's twenty twenty, and, and sort of looking back uh, you know, your perspective on that. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. This is Julie Forbes. I'm excited to tell you about Farm Dog Naturals, a company that handcrafts herbal remedies for the all-natural dog. Quality and integrity are must-haves for anything that I recommend. Certified eco-friendly and cruelty-free, their products address issues like stress and anxiety, itching, hot spots, crusty noses, as well as pet urine, stains, and odor. Farm Dog Naturals is guaranteed, and I'm so happy with the results I'm seeing. Shipping is available worldwide from their website, farmdognaturals.com, or you can ask for them at a retailer near you. Again, that's farmdognaturals.com. 
This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Missing Link Supplements, we cover the world of animals. This week, April 2nd, we'll be entertaining and educating the human animal. Ananda's very popular Maury Venkatro joins us again. This time, he'll continue his radio version of the sacred secrets of Hinduism and lineage of yoga. Plan to join us for this magnetic presentation. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Eric, people ask me to help them with all sorts of doggy challenges. I can only imagine. Oh yeah, dogs jumping on guests, new puppy questions, behavioral challenges like fear and aggression, even dog food sensitivities, you name it and I've probably worked with it. But can you help people even if they don't live in Seattle? Absolutely. I've had great success with phone consultations and have even Skyped with people and their dogs from all over the country. Every dog should be approached as a unique individual. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. That's one of the parts of working with dog training and behavior that I love the most. Every client is different. If you're listening and you need help with your dog, just get in touch. I'd love to get you pointed in the right direction and answer all of your questions. Email me, Host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes. Host at dogradioshow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. <laughs> Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair, psychotherapist Karen Canning returns with her latest psychological strategies for outsmarting overeating. Whether you're a healthcare provider helping patients or secret binger, We'll share seven strategies for long-term health and fitness. Join us Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and follow Vicki on Twitter at Vicki St. Clair and on Facebook, Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Looking for an easy way to give your dog's food a boost in nutrition? Or maybe your dog has a sensitive digestive tract, itchy skin, or is just a picky eater. We've had such great success feeding St. John Creamery raw goat's milk to our pack, and I recommend it to my clients all the time. You can get raw goat's milk for your dog all over the country, but if you live in Western Washington, be sure it's St. John Creamery you reach for in the freezer section of your local independent pet supply store. You can also pick up your milk at drop locations around the area. Visit stjohncreamery.com to learn more. That's stjohncreamery.com. Your dogs will love you for it. Tell your friends about Alternative Talk 1150. And now, back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and we're back with Chris talking about her dog, Sophie, who passed away about five weeks ago and uh, has shared her story of uh, finding out that she had cancer. Sophie had hemangiosarcoma, which is the same kind of cancer that my dog Chewy had um, and is a very common type of cancer and is usually very aggressive and spreads quickly, unfortunately. Um, And you're navigating those... um, very tough waters of uh, what do you do with that information? What what treatment options do you pursue, if any? Uh, how do you balance that? Well, do I? Is there a chance that you know I can extend this dog's life? If so, what is her quality of life going to be? 
what are the risks and just, you know, weighing all of it and then trying to make the best choice that you can in the presence of intense emotions where you're now faced with uh, your dog's mortality and the, the probability that she's not going to be around for much longer. And so you have, you know, some grief starting already. And that clouds, I think that complicates the decision-making process for a lot of people. Um, so thanks for being here, Chris. You're doing such a great job sharing Thank Sophie's you. story. Yeah. Um, so if you missed any part of this episode or any of our over 400, you can find them all archived on our website, which is dogradioshow.com. You can also go to iTunes and download them all for free. And we also post them on SoundCloud to uh, or through SoundCloud on our Facebook page. So you can find The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Facebook as well. So, Chris, you laid out kind of the story and... What's your perspective now as you've been grieving Sophie and thinking about, you know, all of the information that came your way during that process? Um, Do you think that you may have done something differently if you could go back or just do you have some clarity about some things that you didn't feel clear about before or what are your what's your perspective now? I wish initially I would have been more inquisitive as to the type of cancer and asked better questions. I did not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that's just, I think I strapped on the rose-colored glasses and everything was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I also think I, I, I probably should have been a little more honest with myself as to you know who's what was I doing this for her or me? Um, You know, it's very hard because you love them and you just don't want to part with them. Going back, it's interesting. I had a, I have a really good friend in Colorado who within days of my dog, Sophie being diagnosed, his dog had the same diagnosis and Mm. he opted for immediate, you know, euthanized his dog buddy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes I think I uh, might have been the better choice for Sophie and for me and for Annie and for Olive, my remaining pets. Um, um, I just don't know. You know, I love that little dog so much, and she got that. She got a lot of joy that last month. You know, she went to the barking lounge two or three times a week. We, you know, she everybody came over to see her. So you know, life was pretty good for her. But she had to go to the vet a lot, and she hated that. Um, she had anxiety attacks. I don't know how much pain she was having. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one day we went for, I think, a four or five block walk. Other than that, she never went off the block. And before that, before she got sick, we walked two, two and a half miles a day. So mm-hmm. her life changed dramatically. And mm-hmm. um, I just don't know, Julie. Sometimes I think it would have been better for both of us if I would have just made that hard decision that day. Mm-hmm. But I don't really want to say I regret sure. what I did, you yeah. know. So I, it's, I it's, 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 but I'll tell you honestly, if I were faced with it with Annie, who's also 10, yeah. that's my remaining dog, yeah. I, I would not do it to myself again. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I just don't. Or to Annie. I, yeah. I, I don't think I would do that to us yeah. again. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it is hard. And, and 
Hindsight is always twenty twenty, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and I'm glad that you don't have any screaming regrets. You know that you maybe you wouldn't have changed what you did. It would have been maybe nice to feel a little more informed and and clear in your process. But you know, fundamentally, maybe you wouldn't have done anything differently. And that's really great to have to have that and not really feel horrible. Oh gosh, you know that was terrible. I wish. Oh, I'm so you know, and to have guilt around that or something, you know. So. Um, so did you, did you think about Sophie's, um, end of life at all prior to this? No, no, no. You know, one of the things that I was talking with Darcy about my wife, um, about this show this morning and, and I've talked with, uh, when I've had a help project on the show in the past to, um, Animal Hospice End of Life Palliative Care. It's a nonprofit organization locally that provides support for people, you know, in your shoes uh, uh, and, you know, before, during, and after the end of life process. Um, is this idea of having a plan to, to the degree that we can when there's nothing wrong with your dog, you don't know what it, what it's going to be that kind of takes them out is it going to be cancer is it going to be something else um is it going to be there structurally they that they're just not going to be able to walk anymore but otherwise they're fine and so then what do you do carry them you know so um but to i think you know this brings up like think up think about it you know at least fundamentally think about your dog is going to die and Hopefully, before you do, so you know, um, so that you can be there to be their guardian and be their advocate through this very precious process, sacred process. Um, what 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 would you do? What would you you know? Cancer is just like for I mean, in dogs, it is just like in people, very very prevalent. So it's a good idea to get familiar with some of those the the main ones at least, hemangiosarcoma. Uh, mast cell tumors, lymphoma, all these different cancers. Um, uh, what do you think you would, you know, just kind of think about it a little bit. And I remember, it's, of course, it's the last thing you want to think about, right? I remember when, bef- with Chewy, it was like my greatest fear was, was I mean, I knew it was going to happen, but was him dying. I just was like, ugh, that is going to suck that's going to be tough. And and it was more of, I didn't spend too much time thinking about it, but I could feel when I would think about it, a lot of fear, you know, so I'm not going to want to go and do a whole bunch of morbid research on cancer and all this kind of stuff. But is that going to help you be more present to your dog during their last days or weeks, you know, um, help make the process even a little bit more comfortable so I, I really encourage people to to think about that and and you know are you are you in the case of cancer um, and we're actually going to have um, we're going to do sort of inspired by this we've done a number of shows on cancer but not on um, treatment like treatment of so uh, you know, I'll be curious to reach out to your doctor who you had a really great experience with in Edmonds, the oncologist, and talk about, you know, what are these, 
what's involved with these treatment and and what have you seen you know these some dogs and you know i have my mother went through chemotherapy for ovarian cancer and she's um survived and and was able to beat it um but uh chemo is rough mm-hmm. real rough i have friends who have been other friends who've been through chemo radiation and it's horrible and they have decades to live afterwards. So is it worth it? Yes, of course. Right. But if it's a, you know, I feel for me, where is that, you know, if, if it's a dog who at any age really, um, it's, it's hard because you can't talk to them and they can't say, you know, yeah, I want to do this or no, I don't. Or God, I really feel horrible. Some dogs don't show pain. Some dogs are stoic. It doesn't mean they're not feeling it. It means that they don't show it. Right. So it can be hard to read. Right. Um, so what do you put, what, how do you know what to, what do you put your dog through? And as you said, Chris, a number of times, who am I doing this for? Am I doing it really for the dog or am I doing this for me? Who am I prolonging this dog's life for, me or the dog? And I think that's an important question for people to really, to really get with. And you were, you were really able to keep Sophie's needs in the forefront of your process as you went through this. And unfortunately, I know that a lot of people are not able to do that and they're overwhelmed by their own uh, grief and, and, and emotion and really aren't, aren't able and, and keep, keep the dog alive, keep the dog alive, keep the dog alive, keep the dog alive, keep the dog alive. And, and it's just, you know, let them go, let them yeah. go. Um, so, you know, it's nice that you were able, in, in the presence of, of course, the complications of grief, and and that's hard for everybody. I know it was for me, um, really kind of keeping your focus on, okay, well, you know, you were sensitive to that for her and, and ultimately made that decision for her. But to, you know, kind of think about it. What are What would you do? People who are listening right now, you know, what would you do? And, and think about it, and then if and when you are in the situation, because you're probably going to be in the situation, we just don't know what it's going to look like, what are you going to do? And maybe it makes that process a, a little bit easier. I think the very first thing I would do again if I'm faced with it is to definitely find out more about the type of cancer. And mm-hmm. um, if you have a family vet that you trust that's going to be straightforward with you or whatever, you know, the specialists are great, but they're kind of like surgeons. They'll fix you, and if they don't, well, they don't. But there's an optimism there. So I think with the Internet today, mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, finding other people with similar experiences, I, I, I would definitely do that. I've definitely made better plans for Annie mm-hmm. as far as her mortality when, it, mm-hmm. when time comes that I will definitely become more knowledgeable immediately and not become so emotionally driven by my decisions. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I kept Sophie alive mostly for me because I didn't want to lose her. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, and um, But, you know, I never thought about them dying. In fact, oddly enough, I have, you know, wills and trust funds for my dogs to be taken care of should I pass. But right. I never looked at it the other way. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
shame on me, I guess. Well, but. just it sneaks up on you, doesn't it? Well, it is because they don't give you, it's like when you were talking about them being so stoic. I mean, I didn't know she was sick, and she probably had that tumor for quite a while. She was probably bleeding internally off and on for quite a while. and um, Not bad enough that it made her pass, pass out. Pass out, Because you right. would have noticed that. You would have noticed that. Yeah. So uh, that's the thing with dogs. Unfortunately, when you are faced with it, it's generally of an urgent, immediate situation. Right. And your emotions then are sometimes just raw. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, So so one of the things that we've been um, connected about, in addition to Sophie, is Annie. And, um, And we talked a bit about your cat, too. What's your cat's name? Olive. Olive, who also... You know, a, a, the other member of your family, and and uh, how to help them. And if you have a you know multiple animal pack, uh, like we both do, um, you know the dogs are also going through you know, and cat um, also going through their own grief process. I have experienced dogs grieve clearly. Um, you know, and don't ask me for a scientific study to prove it because <laughs> it's just ridiculous and rude. <laughs> I love science. I'm a, I was a science major. I've interviewed many, many, many scientists on this show and value science. But there are some places where you just, you know, don't question these things. <laughs> Annie comes home whenever we come home. She searches the house. Yeah. And that's, she's looking for Sophie. You know. Yeah. And Sophie was such a large presence, so Annie was, you know, one of the things that we talked about was she just, oh, she didn't really have to think for herself because she would just do what Sophie did. Exactly. Just Sophie. That was her leader. So, yeah, I mean, what do we do here? How do I feel about this? What are we doing here? What are we doing now? Okay. You know, all on Sophie and now this big sort of this almost the center of everybody's attention. Um, and then now that presence is not there, um, certainly not physically. And so there's a, ma- a, a real reconfiguration that happens. And there's some positive aspects, too. Um, I know Chewy was my boy. I mean, he was my, my big, big love. And I have another one. And I swear it feels like it's Chewy come back to me. JJ, he's a yeah. lab. I am, like, infatuated, you know. And I love all of our dogs. We have, we have several in our pack. Um, but when Chewy died, I, I was left with um, Leia, my little dachshund. I remember, yeah. And she and she's still alive. She's still going strong. She's deaf now, but, <laughs> um, and it was like we developed a stronger connection after Chewy's passing, and part of that was through grieving together. I remember we went and saw this uh, woman named Vicky Draper, who still still does uh, Reiki and and kind of um, uh, otherwise kind of healing work, uh, energetic healing. And when we had a session with her and, and just talked to, worked on both of our grief and, and that was a nice, a nice kind of strengthened our bond. And also just the lack of the presence, like now the, the queen's gone, so <laughs> who else is left and you just have more attention to give. And so that can be nice too. And so what we were doing, what we have just started doing and we'll be meeting um, regularly for a little bit is um, doing just fun, fun games with Annie. Um, nose work, puzzles, getting her uh, thinking, problem solving, doing it with you. 
and it's just all about fun. And that's a great way to um, a great way to help dogs through um, through that kind of thing. And then the other thing that I know I said and I say all the time is to just talk to them. So how has your experience been with with Olive and Annie, your cat and dog, who are the, are the other members of the family left after Sophie's passing? The house is different now. I mean, you know, it took a while. I think we're finding our new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely think Annie is relaxing. She's eating again. I mean, she's not so fussy, mm-hmm. not so nervous. She actually seems a little more relaxed. I think I've been working on um, the seeking with the boxes. Mm-hmm. We've been playing hide and seek. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think she's in. she's coming into her own. She seems a lot more relaxed. Um, in general, or like so r- more relaxed versus how she was when Sophie was still healthy, or more relaxed from since Sophie passed and she was stressed by that. Oh, she's just a different dog. Yeah, um, she she was she was she was always the 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 chorus. Sophie was the <laughs> band leader, and, right? Um, so yeah. she she's now kind of taken over that role of being number one dog. Does she seem more confident? She does. She does. I think she's really changed a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, She's a lot more comfortable in her skin, more so than I ever thought she would be. Mm. Um, She minds better, too. Not that she wasn't. She was always pretty much more obedient than Sophie. Sophie was too independent. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I try to take her with me or she's with me all the time, which she likes to be anyways. I'm not sure she's settled yet at the lounge because she, mm-hmm. um, day, daycare, she just followed Sophie around there. So, I'm, I mean, they work with her and they pay attention to her, but I'm not sure she's found her rhythm there. But I think at home it's improving a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she and the cat, she used to be terrified of the cat, too, and she seems to have adjusted more with Olive. They eat at the same time. Mm. Um, the cat's gotten a lot more attentive. She sleeps with me every night, something she never used to do. Mm. But then when Sophie slept, slept in the bed, it was a big mess because Sophie took up most of the bed, moved around, snorted and scratched, and, you know, so nobody wanted to sleep in there with her. So yeah. all, I think the, the world has changed. It's interesting. But I, I definitely think that Annie is adjusting nicely. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you've observed about your cat? I'm just curious about through the whole process. You know, I think she knew that Sophie was sick, and people will think that's odd, but... I don't. The last day that Sophie was with us that morning, Sophie was laying on this fireplace kind of hearth thing, mm-hmm. and Olive went over and 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 licked her ears, mm-hmm. and um, was very very attentive to Sophie. Mm-hmm. And even in the last month before, even before Sophie got sick, they used to share a bed together, which was, you know, unusual, not completely erratic, but you know. I think the cat knew before anybody. Mm-hmm. I really do. Olive, sure. Olive was Olive was feral, and I think she's pretty perceptive. Yeah. Um, but I think she knew, and she. I think she said goodbye. I think she said goodbye to Sophie much more than Annie did. Mm-hmm. I don't think Annie, that was pretty scary time for Annie. Yeah. Um, well, there's stories of cats who and dogs. Different stories of of you know that where they. There's a, a resident uh, cat. I, don't, I can't remember exactly what it was in a nursing home or something like that. And the cat would always go and um, lay on the person, next person, or, you know, if there was somebody who was sort of close to end of life, 
the cat would know <laughs> and would go and be with them. Be with them. Um, and then I, you know, I would be like, <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't if, if you didn't know, it would be sort of like, oh, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, and, and dogs too, you know, there's really amazing stories. There's hospice therapy dogs. We, I did a show in November about, um, hosp- therapy dogs in a hospice setting. Amazing. Actually did two shows about it, uh, last November for hospice, uh, national hospice month or something. And, um, and they do, you know. I mean, and dogs can smell cancer cells. I've done mm-hmm. talked about that too. Uh, author of a, a book called Heal, I think, and it was about um, dogs' role in cancer research. So, absolutely, would I believe that your cat knew that Sophie was sick? Yeah, for sure. I think she did. Um, and uh, and so it sounds like your your animals have are settling into or starting to settle into the new the new configuration. Yeah. Um, what's your experience of the grief process? It's been five weeks. She rolled her eyes. <laughs> I don't cry as often. Mondays are hard. Mm. That was the day that, you know, she, she cycled down quickly and I had to make the decision to set up, um, you know, the, for, to have the vet compassion for pause come mm. the next day mm-hmm. if she made it through the night yeah. and, um, you know, I called um, my friend Leonard, who came over that night and, and spent the night. So one of us was with Sophie all night, awake in case she needed something. Um, and then my brother came over in the morning, and and um, you know, um, uh, every day is easier. I mean, I cried a lot. I didn't think I had. Everybody thinks I'm just this tough kind of, you know. And I kind of, I probably am, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I love my animals. They're the most important you know sure. they're important to me they're part of my life they're yeah. there every day they're the fabric of who I am I enjoy them yeah and um I took it hard I yeah. cried a lot I did I cried a lot um and I still do but not as not as it doesn't last I can pull myself together better <laughs> yeah it still comes up but it's hard I I don't envy and then you know I, anybody that goes through it I my heart goes out to you 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 have to find people you can talk to that's the most important thing yeah. I had that and that helped mm-hmm. it did from my family to you to the barking lounge to the people at my office everybody was there for me I yeah. mean it was it, it helps it really does mm-hmm. um, I think that's important mm-hmm well, I, one of the things that I always feel present to in my experience whenever I hear of someone whose dog has passed away, which I've heard a lot, you know, not only my own, my own dogs are family, uh, family members, dogs, my um, Darcy's parents just had to put down one of their dogs and another, you know, and it, it just is... Um, I know how hard it is, and I just know how sad and how much your heart just hurts and how much you just miss them. Mm-hmm. And, ugh. And, and I celebrate that those animals have somebody grieving for them because there are so many who don't, who die, and nobody's crying for them. I know. So I, I, I celebrate that part of it. Um, and I thank you for talking about this and, and, you know, letting us feel your feelings for a little bit and sharing your story. And, uh, certainly, you know, 
dedicating this show to Sophie and Buddy, right? My Your friend's dog. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, River, who just passed away last week, and Lucy and all the other dogs. If you're listening and you're in these in this boat, we know how you feel. And, and as Chris said, and I, I would like to echo that to just find people that you can talk to who who value and honor your sadness because it's the only th- kind of the only way through it. Mm-hmm. A help project is there. There's pet loss support groups, usually in most most cities through your animal shelter or vet offices. I certainly recommend that if you're feeling stuck. Thanks so much again, Chris. And we'll be back next week. Listen to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Thank you, Julie. You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, Wednesday afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Never miss another episode. Listen to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.